Hello, welcome to CIA Files. We got a little news episode today. Um, Brandon's with me. Say hi, Brandon. Well, hello. And, uh, you know, since Brandon has spent uh, a lot of time in Kazakhstan, he's got a little bit of uh, insight that most of us don't. So we decided to exploit that for listens. So, um, uh, first of all, Brandon... You are not in Kazakhstan at the moment, correct? Uh, correct. I am in Atlanta right now. Uh, we came here for Christmas, and um, then all the stuff happened in Kazakhstan, and we cannot get home right now. Um, we think we'll be able to get back next week, hopefully. Our Lufthansa flight keeps getting pushed. Um, I mean, I think that technically they canceled flights until the end of the emergency, which would be the 19th, 20th. Um, but we had a flight for the 19th, but our that was the one from Frankfurt to Almaty has been canceled. So I uh, hope we get there because um, I got work to do. It's hard to work <laughs> out of a hotel room in Atlanta. Yeah. All right. Well, can you give us a little background on the circumstances that cultivated and then, you know, ultimately resulted in, you know, what we saw happen. All right. Well, I think all over the world, people are, are frustrated um, seeing kind of um, uh, the whole rich get richer, poor get poorer narrative. Um, Kazakhstan itself, like, um, is quite wealthy um, with minerals, you know, there's gold. Uh, uranium, lots of uranium. I think like, I don't know, 40% of the world's supply or something. Maybe not that much, but it's got a lot of uranium and a lot of oil. I think it's something like 2% of the world's oil daily. And there aren't that many people living there. You know, it's a pretty big country, but, you know, it's like 18, 19 million people. So the general feeling amongst the population is they could be like the UAE or something, like a, a wealthy oil or mineral nation if the um, minerals were nationalized or, or shared more. Um, yeah, but that got... is not the direction that Kazakhstan has been going, I'm assuming, because all the news stories I've been seeing lately, I see the word privatize a lot. Right, yeah, and that's that's been something that's been frustrating. Uh, privatization, or you know, good old capitalism, it can be a double-edged sword, um, which you also have to tie that into the you know, to understand what's going on. They've had the same kind of president in charge for oh, since independence. I mean, technically, he's not in charge, and that may be what this is about, kind of maybe. And I'll get into that in a second. But Kazakhstan used to be part of the Soviet Union. And um, Nazarbayev was like president of Kazakhstan in the Soviet and led it to independence. And mm, kind of basically what happened then, it's like December 16th, 17th, way on back in the 90s, um, the people kind of mass protested and were like, look, we, we, we don't want Russian leaders, we want Kazakh leaders, and they got it, and they, they got their independence. And But it's kind of interesting, like, uh, I ended up getting kind of um, stuck or delayed 
back in, on December, it was either December 16th or 17th, um, we were trying to go eat downtown. Um, one of our favorite places to eat is like by the, the big, I think it's called Republican Square down downtown. And um, this is in uh, downtown Almaty, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, the Internet stopped working and the police, you know, the police stopped our vehicle and it was like, no, turn around. You got to go away. Um, but it was a uh, well, we were in a a Yandex, which is kind of like a you know a, a Uber, but in the Russo sphere. And um, someone told us like, no, no, no. At the anniversary of independence, they shut down the internet in the square, and you can't really go there because they don't want a repeat of the incident that created their own independence. So it's become a thing that uh, that area is where students go to protest, and so any time that there could be a protest, they'll often shut down the internet. And Let me- Independence Day being one of them. Let me ask you a question too, though, because so you've said independence, you know, they gained their independence. I keep hearing um, Kazakhstan described as like sort of a dictatorship or an autocracy. Is that is that the case? And is it like an autocracy that the population's generally been okay with because they were it was a Kazakh autocracy? Well, I think we would call it a hybrid regime whenever you know you speak of, of democracy um, and uh, that they've had the same guy and his family in charge forever and they have elections, but a lot of the parties that resist, uh, what's well, the Nazarbayev family, Nur um, Sultan Nazarbayev, is, um, he and his family have been in charge forever and a day, um, they have elections. But the parties that do not um, like this this family find themselves off the ballot or not being allowed on the ballot. Um, you can have protests there, but you have to get a permit, um, which, you know, arguably that's the same in the United States and anywhere else. But then, you know, if you have a, a protest without a permit, the, the punishment can be pretty severe. Uh, so... Uh, they they would be considered a hybrid regime. Now, hybrid regimes, you know, te- textbook wise, can still be considered legitimate. Like as a you know, people would consider a you know, if a judge finds someone guilty of a crime, they would you know, accept. Well, this is a, a judge that was appointed legitimately. We have a constitution. It's, um, it's they more or less legal. follow it. There is right. a legal framework. <laughs> yeah. All right, and they they're really big on. You know, of course, you know, when you follow any hybrid regime or authoritarian regime, everything is um, behind the laws. And we do that in the U.S. too. You know, like any, like our, our former president is, you know, has, is facing lots of lawsuits. And one of the things that um, they're very good at or the leadership is hiding behind laws that were written to protect them. Um, anyway, that, right. that'll start going down a rabbit hole. All right, right, so yeah, yeah. Uh, Nazarbayev, he's a complicated figure because in his tenure, arguably Kazakhstan has improved a lot. You know, like when the Soviet Union collapsed, it hurt a lot. I mean, the whole Soviet Union really suffered from the collapse. Um, but like Central Asia had lots of factories and things, and with the free market, they couldn't necessarily compete. Under the Soviet Union, it's like, well, we need to employ people here and grow cotton in Uzbekistan, so we're going to put these textile factories here to you know, grow cotton and they'll make cloth. But then when the system collapsed, 
there was, you know, not, it wasn't necessarily profitable, or they could make more money importing cloth from Bangladesh or something. So, all over, things kind of collapsed. Um, the, uh, I don't know how you would, like, the Euro Rus, you know, I guess you'd say, like, you know, uh, what we would call Caucasian, but the Russians wouldn't call Caucasian because that's a different kind of ethnic group. Um, a lot of those Russians left Kazakhstan, and they tended to be um, the engineers and educated. And um, still, I think it's like 20% of Kazakhstan is um, Euro-Russian. So, but there was this like, oh no, you know, our, a lot of our talent is left, huge brain drain, and, um, you know, jobs have collapsed, factories have collapsed, what are we going to do? And Azerbaijan, you know, he brought in the West, brought in oil exploration companies, and I mean, it's, it's a nice place to, to live overall. So you could argue and say that he helped kind of save the country, and there's a cult of personality around him. They changed the capital of Astana. To, well, you know, they, I mean, the government changed the capital from being called Astana to his name, Nur Sultan. And, you know, there's all kind of like, oh, the you know, President Museum, President Park, and and everything. But at the same time, the man's 81 years old, and he's no longer president. I think it was one or two years ago, he stepped down from being president, but was still the president of the Security Council. So the new president, um, Tokayev, uh, that's you know where things start to get complicated. It's like, well, who has the power? Uh, you have President Tokayev now. And there's, you know, like the question, well, is he really the president or is he just a puppet of um, Nazarbayev? And, you know, that's uh, the, the general thought seemed to be that he was perhaps um, a puppet. Um, at least a lot of the angst at the government seemed to be directed at Nazarbayev. All right. So going back to Nazarbayev. So during his, his tenure, Kazakhstan, you know, kind of became a more or less wealthy country. And... I see lots of evidence of economic development. You know, the roads, lots of nice roads, lots of, lots of park, gas lines put everywhere. Um, however, people are very upset because it's still hard to make a living. You know, and the old, the old timers, of course, they miss, they have nostalgia. They were like, well, you know, back in the day, we didn't have much, but we knew we were going to eat. And now if you don't work, you don't eat, that sort of thing. So we're like, yeah, but that's fair. Uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> it's like uh, so, uh, but they see lots of people getting goofy, goofy rich, incredibly rich, and you know you got people that they're working hard and you know they're barely getting by, you know, just like in the U.S. You I know, was about you, to say this sounds very familiar. Yeah, it's it's very it is very familiar and very similar where you've got this like one percent that just keeps getting so wealthy, goofy wealthy, like amazing wealthy. And yeah, there's opportunity for everyone. And, and it's arguably better than it was in the 90s, but it's still pretty harsh. And then there's also like, well, how are these people getting all this money? And a lot of them happen to be friends and family of Nazarbayev. Coincidence, perhaps. Um but, you know, it's like uh, Nazarbayev's daughter went and spent like $150 million buying um, half of a share of a Swiss bank. And, you know, people hear about that and like, well, the president's salary isn't that big. So how do they how do they get all that money? 
and that's that's the thing that's upsetting is it's like okay yeah maybe the country is in some ways better but you know with all this oil wealth and all this stuff could it not be yet better for us right and they see a lot of disparity yeah and so and that that's where a lot of that frustration comes from is the disparity now you also have to understand kazakhstan's very big there are very different areas the a lot of the protests the protests started in the west um in the oil regions and they have a, a fairly active um union movement there and uh so the and here I, I, it's probably a lot more personal because the wealth of a lot of the wealth of kazakhstan is oil but more and more people were being laid off and so you had us, and that was really in, in the West kind of where all the money was coming from was the oil. You didn't work in oil, probably didn't work much at all. And if somebody's working in oil or, you know, you got a, you know, one of these jobs, the one person working is probably supporting about eight family members. I mean, not just their nuclear family, but their brother or sister or someone that's, you know, maybe underemployed and such. And so if someone who does work for one of the oil companies gets laid off, it's not just hurting that one family, it's hurting like an extended family. And so even though people have been getting richer, a lot of the workers have been getting laid off. And so they're frustrated and they're like, well, we want more money. <laughs> you know, right. the, the straw that seems to have broken the camel's back is um the subsidies for what was it compressed liquid petroleum ended so you know the government's like all right well you know we, we want you to use this compressed liquid petroleum um we you know want people to convert their cars to it and uh, also you know um life is hard keeping warm everything is expensive so we're going to subsidize um this oil you know this fuel so people can afford it it's like okay sounds nice you know, and it seems like, a, you know, all right, this is a good idea. So you're taking, you know, some tax money, uh, you know, likely from the wealthy or the ideas from the wealthy, and then finding a way to give it to, to people to make their lives better. Well, they wanted to liberalize the market. It's like, oh, well, we want to become yet more liberal, so we're more likely to get more investment. And so let's um, open up the market on this um, petroleum and end the subsidies and end the price controls. And when they did, the price went uh, like doubled overnight. And that was just, people were just kind of done. They're like, come on. Right. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. like so rich. Now, the government now is running investigations into potential price manipulations or, you know, like, oh, well, it may have not actually been the free market, but it could have been, you know, um, bad actors going in and, and you know. Manipulating and insider trading and such, and I guess we'll we'll see what happens with that. But the protest happened there, and they were uh, for a while there. I mean, the the government just kind of seemed to let them go, you know, like kind of protest anywhere. They didn't have the official permission, but eh, you know, it was some people. It was like too popular. It it seemed like it was too big for them to just step in and squash immediately. And maybe they were trying to play it safe and say, let them get it out of their system. Yeah, um, that would be my guess, is it was like, yeah, let's just let people get it out of their system. And 
I mean, they're, uh, I think they're trying to move toward the, the Western mentality. So, but then uh, the protest hit Al Mahdi and, uh, well, they, they hit all, you know, all over the country, but they got pretty heavy in Al Mahdi too, which is on the other side of the country. But it's, it's the economic capital. And, you know, people started um, tearing down statues of Nazarbayev. And so it seems to be, okay, well, now it's a generalized anger at the system. Or, you know, here's this, you know, the, this family that's become incredibly wealthy. And so they're a symbol, you know, fairly or not, they've become a, a symbol of this have and have nots. Now, this is where things really start to get um, blurry is um, the shooting starts and buildings start getting burned down. And the government is saying it was a terrorist attack. They're holding to that. They're saying this was like 9-11. There were terrorists there. And, I mean, the first statements were, it's 20,000 terrorists. Uh, But the government has rolled back and said that that statement was a mistake. It was not officially approved, you know, and that it was a terrorist attack and that there were peaceful protesters and terrorists used the protest as a cover to attack the government. And so they needed outside help. And so the CSTO was called in because, you know, know, that's the Collective Security Treaty Organization. It's kind of like NATO. But for a lot of these post-Soviet countries, though it's open to any, theoretically, other countries could join that were not former Soviet. Right. And that was interesting to me because I had not heard of the CSTO before now. And then once I heard of it, I was like, I probably should have known about this for a while. I, you know. right. Yeah. Well, but part of their, their bylaws is... It's only supposed to be for to protect themselves from outside um, threats. So kind of like our military. So it, it sounds like it might be similar to if you know the president of the United States sent in like Marines to quell protests in in the U.S. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like you're not really supposed to do that unless it's uh. Well, at that point, it's the uh, I think the Insurrection Act or something. Um, but even in that case, it would be our own soldiers. It would be a closer an, um, analogy. There are protests in Los Angeles, and we call in NATO to come in and stop them. Oh, and, right, yeah. Which would uh, be crazy. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, but the government's saying, look, these were not, we didn't call in the CSTO to fight our own citizens. We called them in because these were outside terrorists. And perhaps that is true. I mean, the investigations are ongoing. Um, they, uh, the people that have been arrested might provide some clues. So who we know has been arrested so far um, is it Karim Masimov, who was the head of what it would be called like the CIA for for the U.S. Um, so that's, In that's Kazakhstan? Big dude. Yeah, yeah. So it's the National um, Security Council, the NSC, which was what replaced the KGB there. So, yeah, the head of the National Security Council Of, of Kazakhstan's uh, intelligence agency. Yes, yes. Yeah. He, was, he was arrested on suspicion of treason. Now, he may be released. Uh, we, we don't know, but he, he was arrested. He is a former prime minister. 
Um, so there is thought, and with that, the conjecture is like, hmm, well, maybe this was a coup attempt. Um, hmm. Well, in that case, the CSTO it becomes kind of, uh, well, what you got? What are you guys doing there? If it was a coup. But having said that, you know, I mean, if you don't know who your enemies are and you don't know who they're employing, right? You know, it becomes it's, it's a I mean, situation. And it makes me wonder if um, about Kazakhstan's own standing military. You know, like if protests were really that bad, and they weren't saying that it was an outside, um, in, you know, antagonist. Um, would like would their military be able to? Would their military be sufficient to come in to quell you know out of control protests? I think they would. I think they could, they would be able to. I so that would have been an option enough. for Kazakhstan. It would have, been, yeah, I think so. I mean, I I don't know, but I think so. I think the the fear may have been that. Um, well, this was another thing that was was released is that the regular police are trained to deal with um, either protests or terrorist attacks. They were unclear what to do with terrorist attacks mixed in with protesters. And so okay. that, that was one of the, the lines. But that's that's the, the police itself, not necessarily the military. Right. Um, and how I, much how many like citizens uh, are assuming they're not terrorists were uh, killed like when the shooting started? Do you know? Do, did they say? I think they, I think it's around 200 now. They're saying are they still been killed? Are they is the violence still going on? No, it's it's it's. Uh, from what I understand, it is not. Okay. Uh, and the Russians have left too. So they've mission, you know, they did mission accomplished, and um, they're gone, and the other CSTO troops are gone too. But your your question about the military, I mean, I can understand Tokayev's idea to call in the CSTO because, for whatever reason, they arrested the head of of intelligence. So if oh, you yeah, start sending so... military to do something, if you're unsure of your own military, that would be the question. Like, sure, I, I imagine they're capable, but if you're but really if nervous, the military has yeah. been compromised. <laughs> right, right, and and this is a problem. Like even the U.S. has talked about. Like some retired generals have mentioned they are a bit worried that the U.S. military may be compromised. So right. it's something that could happen to like any any nation compromised as in like infiltrated by right wing extremists and um yes and, that, and like yeah and uh well I don't know if it's neo nazis but just like white supremacists and um hard right hard right Trump supporters who uh, believe the election was stolen things like that. Yeah, well, that would yeah, that would be the the fear is that um, not understanding how the transition of power occurs constitutionally, and then instead of listening to law and legal experts, listening to someone who just says, "Oh yes, I'm actually the real president," <laughs> and it's like Ugh. yeah, and that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Uh, we had in Florida, there was a, a, a recent uh, maybe special election. In a in a district that has been staunchly Democrat for 
forever. I mean, well, I don't know how long, but for a long time. And the Democratic candidate won by like 60, you know, like they won by a huge margin. And the Republican opponent is is still refusing, at least last I heard, was still refusing to concede the election and was uh, making allegations of election fraud in a situation where there's absolutely, like, there's no question. Um, yeah. And that that's well, going to be the new norm for U.S. elections. Sorry, I'm getting off topic. I just... Yeah, well, what the point, you're actually bringing up a, a good point about... Um, issues with legitimacy. Like I said, like, how, does a, how is a government legitimate? And um, one, I mean, people believing they benefit from it one way or the other, like whether that benefit is fair or not, like, oh, my job is with the government or I'm getting contracts from the government. So, you know, I want to make sure that this group stays in power because they're helping me or, um, you know, I believe this person was legitimately elected, but a way to destabilize a country is to convince people that it is not legitimate. And that is the, I would suggest, is the attack being made against the United States right now, because there is an effort to say that um, our elections are not legitimate, the government's not legitimate, and whoever seems to be behind it is quite brilliant because they are succeeding um, right. with a very small budget. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. uh, which goes into like trust in Kazakhstan. Um, the Kazakhstan ranks pretty low on freedom of press, and so there's a general feeling of, well, you know, they, you know, if something's said or the official statement, uh, I can't really trust it. And it may be true. And you know, a lot of times from these regimes, you can get a lot of truthful reporting. Um, and, and but if people don't believe it, that becomes a problem. Yeah. And definitely. with the U.S. We don't have state media, but we have like, oh, well, anybody can pretty much say anything. So yeah. nobody knows what to believe. Well, we do so have it, state media, but it's like, it's not the only game in town. Right, right. And <laughs> the, the point is like, well, since it's not the only game in town, but there is really no regulation on what could be said or conjectured or reported, it creates a whole lot of doubt and so people can create their own narrative thanks and ronald end, reagan that was ronald reagan's yeah. doing uh, you know the fairness doctrine yeah but the end result is yeah like it's easy to make people say oh well this isn't legitimate you know this you know oh they're they're just lying or and so and um, that's something around it's an issue around the world right now to regain stability trying to get the uh, maintain government legitimacy all right, so who these actors were in Kazakhstan, other um, issue is um, Nazarbayev's nephew, Samat Abish, was the um, deputy head of the National Security Council, and he was replaced. So the president got you know, arrested the head of this intelligence organization for treason, or suspicion of treason, and relieved the former president's nephew. And so that has led to a lot of conjecture, which, you know, I won't say because I'm going back there. <laughs> um, another person that was arrested that is curious is a fellow um, called Wild Armin, or Armand, Wild Armand, 
and he's nice. um, a mafia guy. He's um, pretty pretty big, pretty pretty big mafia guy. But he's also um, uh, pretty open with his pan Turkish nationalism, and you know, like kind of far right, like all Turks should unite. And he, I don't know if he's an ally of Nazarbayev. However, he became very wealthy during the rule of Nazarbayev, and he was arrested for distributing, well, they're not releasing, they've got 20 days, to, I think it's, um, the technicality is he could be held for 20 days while being investigated, but, I mean, he, he is a known mafia boss, so what exactly he's, they're going to charge him with is pretty, <laughs> it could be, who knows? Right. Um. But the idea is he may have been giving um, weapons and guidance to the people that were doing the attacks. So they seem to be trying to pin it on him and saying this is the, a sort of right-wing attempted coup or right-wing, if not a coup, a disruption right. that this, that this far-right mafia leader was behind. Gotcha. Let me ask, just uh, uh, to clarify, too. Um, cause we've talked about, you know, there were the protests, which, you know, there's people out in the street and then there was the military response and, you know, hundreds of people have been killed. What, what was the level of violence against the state from, uh, you know, supposed protesters or terrorists? Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So the protesters themselves, we know they pulled down statues. You know, like that, that seems to be pretty clear. You know, statues coming down. And that's pretty um, standard. Right, right. Where it suddenly gets um, fuzzy. And um, the New York Times reported on, on this. One of the um, human rights activists says he claims the police just disappeared. He says, we were out there protesting. And the police disappeared, and then an organized group of people came in and just started really breaking things and burning down buildings. And the police station was captured, and the guns taken out and distributed to people. And this is where um, Wild Armand was reported being, too, that he was there and giving orders. Uh, and so... It's and something so that, we've, that I've, I, I've picked up on, um, again, probably late to the game, but... I've noticed, you know, if you have mass protests and the police just, I mean, I'm, you know, like the protesters are like, fuck the police. We don't like the police. But if the police just disappear, that's always a bad sign. Right, right. If the police and... collectively disappear, like something, they're like, you know. They're turning a blind eye to something, and it's not us. Well, I'm not going to say they were turning a blind eye. Well, I mean, in general. I'm not making any statements uh, about the Kazakh police specifically, yeah. but just in general, when that happens during a protest, you know. It's time to get nervous. Yeah. Something's going down that you might not understand. Right. <laughs> it's time to get nervous. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, the the general word was that 
you know, at some point, a group of very organized people came through. And then, then there was this mystery about there, and still continues to be the mystery about who they are. Um, the government is insisting that they were terrorists um, and leaning towards saying they were Islamic terrorists. And since the U.S. has left Afghanistan, there are more terrorists with more to do because there aren't Americans to shoot at. So, you know, let's go to some neighboring countries. And there may be a lot of truth to that statement. Um, we'll find we'll, this is something we're going to find out more over the next three months as people are arrested. It's more as, you know, people are taken to trial. Um, a lot, I think they've got 2,000 people arrested, and then as they go through processing them, you know, a lot of them may be released, uh, and we'll see, oh, well, this is, you know, a protester, and I mean, I hope that they don't get, you know, like the, the people that were protesting, maybe they weren't really supposed to be there because they didn't have a permit, and I hope that the government doesn't go look at them, but it might help, you know, this whole process of um, investigating will hopefully clear up what happened, you know, and, and we might be able to get a better timeline. Yeah. Um, now, down the street from where I live, is there's a hospital, and there was a firefight down there. Um, my coworkers could hear it, and I read an, an article about it, and the people in the hospital said basically six to eight armed people with masks surrounded the hospital and were just wouldn't let anyone in or out until the CSTO, I actually honestly don't know if it was CSTO troops or Kazakh troops and police, but eventually government forces came in and, and cleared them out. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, there were people, there were definitely armed people doing villainy who was banking rolling them and what it was about is again, not exactly sure. Um, so the only real clues we have are the people that have been either arrested or fired. Um, I can't remember. I had one of the, I think it was out of the police department committed suicide. So, I mean, they're, yeah, that, all right. Well, I guess that kind of heads up everything I really know. Uh, the other, I, uh, there is one more thing, the whole, um, shoot on site, um, thing that Tokay have, um, said. And that might not be lost in translation. Um, the general feeling is that when you have a complete breakdown of law and order, I mean, people are allowed like to to shoot to defend property. Um, now, having said that, we had that incident in the U.S. and you know we don't take we do not take kindly to our politicians insisting that looters be shot. Right. And so yeah, it's it would, the whole like property over lives right now but to separate that a bit uh when tokayev was making this statement the argument is they believe this was a terrorist attack and they're saying everybody needs to get inside and if you're outside then we don't know who you are and it's not necessarily that they're just going to shoot on site but if you are outside and appear to be a threat, we're, we're not taking any chances that, you know, like, <laughs> right. it's kind of like if you find out, you know, oh, well, Al Qaeda's in your neighborhood and we're sending the Marines in. Yeah. It's like, look, guys, go in your house. Well, yeah, there's, um, yeah, the, I saw a video of some Russian um, news reporters and they were like, oh, we were shot at. And it was, um, they didn't shoot at them to try to shoot them. 
But um, so, but at the same time, it's like, you know, please do not shoot in my general direction to make me go away. I do not like this. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we're trying to report, but yeah, that was a Russian news site. So, all right. So um, I hope that I provided a little bit of um, clarity and I don't want to be that like, I'm playing devil's advocate, but I also want to, you know, give everybody... I'm trying not to spread rumors. Right. No, and that's good. That's responsible. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strange thing because I think before this happened, the most, at least people here in America knew about Kazakhstan was Borat, which is apparently not accurate. I I can't believe Hollywood lied to me. Nothing like that. Well, that was one of the one of the jokes. Like they had, um, Nazarbayev was one of the characters in the in the Borat too, and it's like in a dirt house or something, and it's like, yeah, that would be like gold plated, right? <laughs> Kazakhstan is a very very wealthy country. I mean, there you know, if you go out to the countryside, it's you know impoverished, but I mean, it, it's kind of ironic. Like you come here for Christmas. Staying in Atlanta, and we're not in a bad neighborhood. And like the second, well, first night I heard like random gunshot, but the second night was like da 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 da, da. and there was like a shootout at the Quick Trip or something across the street. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm back in this country, and just like shooting every night, and, and then and then they have the the thing going down in Kazakhstan. It's like, what in the world? This is like the most peaceful place. What? Yeah. <laughs> but, let me ask you um maybe it's too soon to know yet but has the government responded in any way or announced plans to respond in any way to like what caused the original unrest you know yeah talking about cleaning house um as far as like leadership there's a major leadership shuffle and they are he says they're convert the conducting investigations into price manipulation and you know what when they did deregulate what exactly happened right um in the meantime are people still having to pay double for you know gas and no no, they've they've brought the subsidies back ah well that's Um, good at least yeah the subsidies were brought back um yeah they're doing a lot of shuffle they're investigating some people and i mean Tokyo yeah, has a chance to um, turn it around. Like, I mean, if they could do some real reforms, and he very well may. Or, you know, he may just become the new, the new Nazarbayev or something. Right. You know, like, well, I'm going to ch- change the name of the capital to Tokyo City. Right. No, I noticed <laughs> but, um, as I was looking at stories uh, about it, there was a story from Reuters about how the Kazakhstan government uh, recalled a bill like a six billion dollar uh, it looked like a clean energy deal that they were making somehow in connection with the united arab emirates that was going to invest in other types of energy aside from oil yeah i think the problem with it is it was a no-bid contract and so they uh, might be going or like, looking maybe at it's it a bad time for those sorts yeah. of things right now yeah I mean, that would be, to be honest, the, the type of corruption that I think you, you see. And, and 
it's the type of corruption the U.S. seems to be trying to go for too. Um, you know, like our, with oh well, let's just you know, it's who you know to get the military contract, as opposed to well, what really is the the best price and such. Right, and, and I've so, what I, from what I've been reading about U.S. military spending that it is also rife with corruption and with lots of unnecessary spending. I mean, people complain about the U.S. military budget um, all the time, but one of the big things that I've been picking up on is I've been reading, you know, news stories, and also I mess around on Reddit, and I see a lot of people who are in the military and who say that they've, you know, like work in the government contract business, maybe for like, you know, a private firm or something, saying that there are tons of, uh, contracts that the military absolutely has no need for, but the uh, congressional representatives keep them in place because that contract is bringing money into their state. And so... Well, look at the cigar report on um, uh, Afghanistan and just the extreme amount of money that was thrown away and the whole time during during the war they're saying this is a waste this is a waste this is a waste right and it just didn't stop and it kept going it's one of the greatest heists like <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so, yeah the um, afghanistan war was a huge grift for uh arms contractors and you know private security firms uh, I think as, as far as Kazakhstan, uh, I think that's it. I'm looking forward to going back. I miss it. You know, I mean, it, it, it's a great place. And, yeah, I hope um, they have peace and security and things work out. Yeah. I learned a lot just, you know, from having this conversation with you. And um, I think we should have another conversation soon uh, and get into how Kazakhstan is playing into the the other situation going on in the region with Russia and Ukraine and everything else that's cuz yeah, there was conjecture that Ukraine may have been behind um this who are helping like uh was it um uh opposition like one of the um Kazakhstan opposition leaders lives in Ukraine, and so there was thought, oh, this the Ukrainians may have been behind this, but I I don't think there there's any evidence of that beyond the Kazakh guy is in exile in Kiev, and, right? Um, and that maybe there are parties for whom it would be advantageous to smear Ukraine a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I I. Uh, I don't think that the, as far as like the Ukraine situation and Kazakhstan and Russia, I do believe we have a very big chance of going to war with Russia. I don't think it'll necessarily be World War Three, but I think there's a pretty big chance Russia is going to make a grab for at least the Donbass. Because if you look at what's happened in the last few years, it's right out of the World War Two playbook. It's, um, oh, well, let me take this and see what happens. Let me annex this and see what happens. And then eventually you'll get a false flag operation, like the, the Germans did the false flag um, with the radio station in Poland. 
to say, oh, well, we're being attacked. Now we owe oh, Poland so bad. We got to go attack them. And it just came out that the Russians were trying to do something like that in Ukraine. And so you'll get a false flag and then they'll come in to try to claim the borderland. Yeah. Um, and what and they might. I'm I, I started to say I'm curious. Curious is probably the wrong word to use. Um, I'm wondering about what that kind of warfare would look like, because, I mean, we haven't seen a conflict between big nations in a while, if I'm correct, if I remember correctly. And since then, I mean, not just talking about like the advance in military technology with weaponry and stuff, but uh, cyber attacks have become a huge part of, you know, how governments operate and Russia seems to be pretty, you know, pretty good at that, at, you know, going from yeah. the news. So. Yeah. Dollar for dollar, man, Russians, they, they, they punch well above their weight class. Yeah. And a lot of different military. respect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Give them that. They, yeah. I mean, community. They uh, are, I feel asymmetric like warfare in my, you know, only somewhat, you know, I'm not an expert. And I, I've said this before about the, the podcast about the CIA and everything that I'm not an expert on this stuff. I'm kind of learning it as we go. But from everything I've seen so far, uh, Russian intelligence seems to be like the gold standard of national intelligence. And uh, it's kind of looking the same for cyber warfare. Um, you know, maybe China is given Russia a run for their money in that regard. But yeah, I worry about what, you know, how Russia could reach the United States via cyber attacks. Yeah. Well, I think uh, my guess is they're, they'd be careful about tit for tat on that. Um, like they would invade Ukraine and go at least to that um, Donbass region. And then they might stop. And then like just kind of do like Crimea. All right, well, this is ours now. And, you know. As opposed to like trying, like Hitler, to steamroll through all of Europe or the area. Or if it's incredibly easy for them, then they might go ahead and and try to take at least um, Nova Russia, if not the whole whole Ukraine. Um, Nova Russia being like um, southern Ukraine which is, you know, usually has a, a, a bit more Russian speakers than Ukrainian speakers. Uh, so um, the population uh, is less likely to revolt. Yeah. And it'll give them um, a connection both to Maldova, um, to the Transnistria and Crimea. Um, and then the thing is they might just stop there and try to negotiate a peace at that point. Say, well, you guys can keep fighting us or... <laughs> yeah, I, right. don't think they, I don't think they would keep pushing... Um, I mean, that's. What, I think they would try to limit it for that reason. It's right. Just, this is what we can take, and you can either keep fighting us, and even if we fight, it'll be just like right now, where there's a, kind of a trench. You know, there's a battle line between uh, Ukrainian-controlled Ukraine and uh, I don't know if you'd call it Russian or rebel-controlled Ukraine insurgent and then it was just yeah insurgent it was just the line would be pushed 
but this time it would be okay it's open it's russians and then you know that's kind of how we would fight back and forth and you know we'd be careful about whatever weapons we used because we know they would match it and they might be careful about what weapons they use because they know we would match it right and, and that then it would be kind of this uh, it yeah there was that joint announcement recently from the chinese and u.s and russian government saying that they would not use nuclear weapons in a conflict because it's a and you know that nobody would win a nuclear war so that makes me feel a little better but also you know can everybody involved be counted on to stick to that you know putin keeps bragging about his, his new hypersonic missiles so hypersonic missiles don't need nukes Oh, that's true, but <laughs> they can carry them. So, yeah. but yeah, right on. Well, that, yeah, I think that about um, covers everything in a succinct little package. And we will have a new episode, regular episode out soon. Uh, I don't know if you caught it, but go check out the last one on James Jesus Angleton. And we're going to be returning to pick up where we left off with Kim Philby have, uh, coming up soon. So keep your eyes out for that. And um, yeah, like we've said before, be sure and give us those uh, likes, ratings, reviews, uh, subscription, all of that stuff. And um, website, ciafiles.net. You can find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash ciafiles. And then there's Twitter. And Instagram, where you'll see us at CIA Files Podcast. So, yeah, thanks for listening. I hope that this was informative for you. And uh, we'll be back soon. <laughs>